Help support the Hockey Hurts podcast by donating as little as $1 per month by visiting patreon.com slash hockey hurts. Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for June 3rd of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. Uh, this week's edition of the podcast, we will be discussing the Stanley Cup final. Pittsburgh Penguins have won the first two games, have looked pretty good for most of the series. They're up to nothing. The series is shifting over to San Jose tomorrow night will be game three. And I think it's fair to say that if the Sharks do not win, the series is pretty much over. So I would expect uh, the Sharks to give their best effort they have through these first two games. The third should be the best. So, um, yeah, we're just going to talk about the series. Cam, what has stuck out for you so far? Um, how easy Pittsburgh have made it looked at times. And I, I say that in the sense that I was surprised that that's the case. You've got two really good teams that have got this far. Um, I expected San Jose to handle what Pittsburgh had a little better in the sense that I thought they would own the puck in the, in the offensive zone a little bit more. And that was going to be what would stop Pittsburgh from being able to use their speed. But you've got to actually have the puck to create that zone pressure. And San Jose have really struggled to keep the puck. So that's been my biggest surprise for through the entire thing. And there have been extended periods of time that San Jose has controlled play. It hasn't happened as frequently. And I think in that second period, they did exactly what you were talking about. They yeah. had Pittsburgh in for extended zone time. And yep. Pittsburgh's defense isn't built to handle that. They're, they're built to transition quick, uh, keep the puck longer, that kind of stuff. So if, you know, when you go speed skill, sometimes you get caught with bigger bodied teams when they, when they get possession finally down in your end. And, but that hasn't happened all that often. I think the speed of the Penguins uh, forwards have, they're winning that. I believe we talked about the Pittsburgh forwards versus the San Jose defensemen and how that would be the battle of the series to watch. And I, I think the Pittsburgh forwards are definitely winning that battle right now. Yep. No, no, I agree. It's it's really it's really weird for me to see it sort of pan out this way. I I thought that the defense of the Sharks would be able to handle it a little bit better, and they just haven't. It's almost every team that's played against Pittsburgh has seen the speed on tape. When you actually have to go out there and make a decision with somebody bearing down on you quickly – Players, not it doesn't happen to all players, but players are making errors, and <clears throat> Pittsburgh are capitalising on that. I mean, if you look at a game two, the goal that, that, that Kessel stole off Benino, um, that was that was just two bottom pairing players screwing up due to pressure. That's all it was, and you can't blame those two players for wanting to. They tried to make a controlled play, and it, it blew up in their face. So as a coach, you've just got to live with that error. And the team managed to come back and tie it. So you can't really complain too much about that. No, and and the the forecheck Pittsburgh's using right now is different than the one they used at the beginning of the playoffs. Against New York, they played back. They played um, what I'd call a trappy 1-2-2-ish kind of thing where they sat back, waited for the – they didn't really respect the Rangers – skill all that much well so they, reason for that. well uh, but they waited for the rangers to make a mistake and kill them in transition which is kind of funny because i think that's what the rangers used to do to the penguins correct <laughs> so that worked um they did a little bit of that against washington and it worked obviously and then things changed in the tampa series they Tampa Bay Lightning, John Cooper went with the stretch pass, and Mm. it was beating them, and it was frustrating the Penguins that the zone entries were becoming uh, a lot more controlled and a lot more frequent, and so they shifted away from that 1-2-2 and just started sending their speed hard on the opposing defensemen so that when they turned with the puck, they didn't even have time to get enough power to get the stretch pass, and everything blew up from there, and I think they've extended that into the shark series. What's brilliant about that attitude though, is a lot of coaches would go conservative from that stretch pass 
oh, we can't let it get behind us. Instead, they've got there and gone, well, let's cut it off at the source, stop the player from having the ability to make the pass. And, and I think that approach is, is much better rather than the let's make sure we can receive the pass. Especially when you consider the um, const- roster construction. I mean, are they the fastest team in hockey? They have to be right there, right? Uh, combined, if you go down 1 to 20, yes. Right? I mean, they're top five fast team. Yep, definitely. Are, are they one? Maybe. So, you know, if you have that roster the way it is, it's easier to say, yeah, well, of course, go get them. Because they're going to win the races. Yeah. So it makes sense. It's a it's good coaching and it's good GMing. You really didn't think I'd be saying that about Rutherford. Oh, he had a crappy year last year and he's done uh, some really nice things this year. We'll, we'll never know how much advice he takes from the rest of the crew or how much advice he gave the rest. Of, like, you know what I mean? That's the dynamic that I'd really like to know about would be those sorts of things. You yeah, know, that who's would be cool to know kind of how they, they're just, you know, just the process they go through. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's been a big change of what the team was to is in regards to how it was played. Like, Bilesman never had ultra-fast teams when Pittsburgh were good under Bilesman. They were never Early. quick. They never... Never played like they this. were quicker. Yeah, but not like this, though. Like, you know, Shero did kind of slow the team down by thinking we have to beat Boston up rather than just let's just skate around them. And I suppose that realisation clicked in with, you know, this management group and, and they, they drew towards that. And the thing that I, I hope happens around the league is that they look at the two teams that are in the Cup this year and while San Jose aren't as quick as Pittsburgh, they're not slow. No, they made San or I'm sorry, they made St. Louis look slow. Yeah, and I think St. Louis out of the teams that were left once LA got out, I reckon St. Louis were the slowest team floating around. That's fair. Not that they and, don't have some fast guys, but overall, correct. Yeah, but if you, you get there and look at it and you go, oh, they've got a couple of fast guys, and the rest of the team is you know above average or below, then it's sort of easier to easier to track down. Like Pittsburgh have got a, a, a couple of speedsters and. Oli is probably Pittsburgh's slowest skater. Injury or not. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Healthy or healthy or injured. Ollie is not the quickest skater going around, but he's one of those lucky guys. Like, a bit like Paul Martin, I suppose, in the sense that... I don't they know. Paul's can... that slow. You know what I'm saying? No, Paul's not the quickest, but his brain makes up for the hole in that speed, right? And so does Marta's brain. And, and that's, that's where you can kind of get away with it. It's not like... Um, if Ben Lovejoy loses a step, his brain's not going to be able to make up that gap. You know what I mean? So you can be quick with the puck and quick without the puck. And Benino's a really good example of that. He's not the quickest of skaters, but he knows how to get the puck from, from A to B and, and get it at the right time. Oh, his hockey IQ is very good. The way he, well, he has very good hands to buy himself time, good body position, and he's pretty smart about how he goes about opening up passing lanes for himself. I like when uh, they're down low in the zone and there's not a lot of space. He gets pretty clever with some of the ways he gets the puck over. He just he just seems to... I don't know. It, it's just funny with Benino. I was really hiding when he was at Anaheim, right? And then I, I thought that Vancouver did quite well getting him in the trade for Kessler because he was way cheaper. I thought that was a really good... Really good trade-off for them. But I have no idea why they all of a sudden thought he was useless. And Well, I mean, they, they're not. They're not exactly running a top-end NHL team right now. Yeah, but it's just baffling in regard. Because I, I, you don't watch the Canadian broadcast, and I do, right? I did when, I, when Hockey Streams was around. Yeah, but you can't now. That's the problem. And and you get there with it, and just some of the stuff that that they come up with in regards to, they go, oh my god, and he's so much cheaper than Brandon Sutter. It's absolutely amazing. It's like, well, it's just good asset management. It's actually understanding what a good hockey player is and what will fit with your team. And it's it'd be interesting to see what happens to Benino when he does come around to that UFA contract, and how much is he going to get paid? Three and a half, four. And you'd be happy with that? I would. He sort of does everything you want him to do, don't you? For a third-line center? I mean, I I don't know 
if you sign him and he gets to steal the top two wingers his entire career, but he's making yeah, but most of his quality of teammate. If you change if you change that dynamic, then your expectations of what he's going to provide you on the roster changes again. I mean, it's one of those things where I think I remember a quote from him saying, look, I was told to be defense first at the start of the year, and that's what I did. As soon as we got told we could, you know, loosen the reins and go and do some things, he did. Like, he's a very coachable player. I'm sure that if you got there and took those wingers away from him and he had to, <clears throat> for want of a better way to look at it, be a little bit more defensively responsible, I'm sure he'd be able to stack that up as well. It's not like his lines at, at a 50-50 for shots for and shots against. Like, they are doing quite well with the with their possession. So, I've always said it, a good defense is a good offense. Yeah, he's... That line's been fun to watch. That has. It really, really has. Plus, his goal calls from the Punjabi guy. <laughs> <laughs> Bonnie, no! That's pretty. Like that, your ringtone. You'll know it's me. That's his kid's ringtone, I hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. No, but uh, now that we actually brought that goal up, there there is a point I want to make about the series, and before I forget about it, um, so Pittsburgh's controlling most flow. They're doing a really nice job. You could argue they should probably have some more goals, just like you could say that versus Tampa, but. Vasilevsky was great, and I think Martin Jones is playing really good now, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, even despite playing um, as well as Pittsburgh has, it's taken two really late goals to win by one. And Benino obviously being the one, and then Connor Sheary's uh, the faceoff play in overtime being the other. That's going to go down in folklore as one of the greatest things of all. Like, that's going to, 10 years, 20 years' time, that's going to be a story that gets so blown out of proportion. Yeah, I, I don't want to ruin the, the, the good moment, but I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, we we talk face-off plays in our recreation league all the time. Like, just we look over and we'll say a few words. We'll know which play we want to do. And, and much like for them, controlled plays in hockey aren't easy. you you got to win the draw clean. And if you win it clean, then you, then things can kind of get set into place. But yeah. we have a few plays that we run that are, are really basic stuff. It's not anything fancy, and I don't think the face-off play they scored on was all that fancy. But no, it wasn't. It was pretty. It was it was it was well organized and just well executed. But, but Sid it did say, expensive. "Yeah, I know." I, I called a lot of face-off plays that night, and only one of them worked in the offensive zone. And I'm like, yeah, of course, we do that. Us peons do that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's a common thing for the center just to kind of give a look over, and you kind of nod to the other guy. And you, you both know what's up. Most times if I'm taking a draw, I'll push, try and push the guy forward and just kind of baby chip it behind me and have the winger come through. Or I'll win it back, peel off the center, and we'll have a, a shot tip play or something. You know, these aren't. Like you said, it's not extraordinary it's, plays, but you know, you, you give that look and the plays on and hopefully you win it clean and things go as planned. But most times they don't. All right, so I got you sidetracked. You were talking about something else. No, that, that, that was fine. I did want to talk about that play. I thought it was, um, just a great job. And like I said, you have to win the, the face off clean and to the guy on his stick. Latang got it. Crosby told him not to shoot. Sheary, actually did the the breakdown on hockey buzz with the I did some slides and some descriptions yeah. of how it went down. Cherry was on the left wing and instead of going right towards the like center dot or to the net, he he went up and around the faceoff circle to almost the the high slot and Justin Braun didn't follow him up. He just assumed he would meet back with him. But then Braun got picked by Crosby and Joel Ward and unfortunately for him the this particular set faceoff play was for the guy that he's supposed to be with and it went right to Sheary and he what a shot and what a pass reception that was yeah that puck was technically behind him and he managed to corral it and then launch had, it had like to it be was... too and and I think that was also a great pass by Latang really the only place he could have put it 
And yeah. I thought that Brian Dumoulin opening up wide and looking like a one-timer was a big part of that. Because off the draw, the left winger pops out to that right point man. Mm. If Dumoulin didn't stretch, the right, or the, I'm sorry, the left winger would kind of be more towards the middle. Maybe he gets a hope and a prayer poke check. Well, yeah, he'd be able to cheat off, but Maybe. you don't want to cheat off. You know, you never know. Maybe, but there would be a higher chance that he could. But Dumoulin was wide, he went wide, and that was that. So it should go down as a as a great play call because it, it it really it, it was a nice. Nice little play that they executed. And a pretty big moment. Yeah, it's a little bit OT, you know. I, did, I thought they were going to lose that game. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny, like, I'm actually going to get to watch the game live tomorrow, right? So it's like, yay. So the first two games have been no stress at all because I've gone home and watched them and and got to watch, you know, some good hockey. And knowing that they, they won that game too, but to have had them score it, what was it? In four minutes to go to tie it. Yeah, you could. I could understand why every Pittsburgh fan watching is like, "Oh shit, here we go again at console in the playoff game. We're going to lose one that we shouldn't have." I tell you what, they lost what eight overtime games in a row, and now they're four and two this playoffs. That's that's, yeah. that's a lot nicer. It is. It is. And and you know they finally won a game seven at home. So this particular run is is breaking a few hoodoos on that uh, Indian burial ground. You know, it was either an Indian burial ground or their roster construction wasn't very good. <laughs> one of those which one's two. More, which one's more likely? Maybe I don't know. The, I'll, I'll let other people decide that. So, <laughs> um, I think one of the other things that's, well, I guess we were talking about one of the players that I'm about to bring up, Connor Sheary, uh, two goals in two games. But Brian Rust, man. He didn't stop after uh, that game seven in the Eastern Conference, fi- Eastern Conference Finals. He um, he decided he needed a Stanley Cup final goal. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've had my reservations about him playing on the Malkin line, but for the last few games, it's looked pretty damn good. Look, you called him Tyler Kennedy 2.0, and I couldn't really argue with that assessment in the sense that he takes a lot of shots but hit, misses the net a lot. He's managing to avoid that at the moment. I don't think he's bad about that kind of stuff, but at the speed and the and the um, willingness to shoot, I I think he'll. I don't know. Tyler Kennedy was better than some gave him credit for. If Russ could be at Tyler Kennedy's ceiling, that would be pretty good. Yeah. But he's. It- um, He's part of why they they're, they're able to change their forecheck to be more aggressive, guys like him. So when he got hit by Marlowe and was going to be out, while I think Bo Bennett is certainly capable of coming in and not drowning playing with Malkin, he's shown in the past he's done fine with it, and he would finally be on the right wing, it does change the dynamic of what Pittsburgh's been wanting to do because he's just not as, as fleet of foot as someone like Brian Rust. Just out of curiosity, like, <clears throat> they obviously send Kunitz and Rusty to go get the puck and leave Malkin around to clean up the mess because of what he can do when he cleans it up, right? If you're in that situation, you'd have to send Malkin and Kunitz in and have Bennett do the cleanup duty on the turnovers. And that's where that all falls down because Bennett doesn't have the leg speed to do what Rust and Kunitz do, right? He's just not that fast. And you go, all right, so if you still want to go with that aggressive forecheck, you're going to have to send Malkin in to go do the flush out, which is fine because Malkin can be very, very good at doing that. But then you go, when the puck ends up on the stick of Bennett, it's not Malkin. So that that's where that, that potential loss of rust was going to be very, very hurtful. Yeah, and I, earlier in the year, if I, if I knew Bennett was healthy and able to play and rust was playing over him, I'd probably be like, what the hell's going on? But... Um, it's really worked the way they have it constructed. And it has to work this way for to keep HBK together. Because during Washington and much of the Tampa series, it wasn't working. Either Crosby or Malkin went dormant. And Sherry I think I think Sherry got hurt against Tom Wilson. You think? And, and he well and he's finally Healthier. Healthier would be the best way to put it. And 
I mean, both his goals were really nice. I mean, the the first goal in game one was the, that Crosby feed was amazing. On mm. Justin Brown again, that poor guy. He he's not. <laughs> having, uh, I mean, he's got a family death, um, and he's just been victimized on two two pretty big goals. But Cheery, the the first shot, how he just waited that little extra half second so the screen went by and not get blocked, was um was really nice. But he still whacked it in the top corner as well, though. It wasn't like he, he hit half a net. Like, it was a pretty nicely placed shot. Yeah, upper dog. Upper dog. Stop talking about Kessel. <laughs> so, well, he scored too. Oh, no. I was trying to well, think. It's... I'm not trying to get ahead of myself. Somebody asked me a question in the mailbag today. Who who are the cons my favorites for each team? And I think Kessel's got to be mentioned for Pittsburgh. Is he the head? Is, is he the, the the lead horse? No, I, look. Who, I'll ask this question first. Who votes on Who votes on the Con Smythe? Uh, I think the league just picks it. It's just the league. So who in the league picks it? It's not the media, is it? I don't think. So. Well, maybe it is. The, the reason I ask, because if it's the media that picks it, there's a couple of ways it could go for Pittsburgh. I'd almost suggest that Murray would get it, purely because of the story it is. And then I think that... Um, the Professional Hockey Writers Association. All right, so I think Murray will win it. If Pittsburgh win the whole thing, Murray will get it. Because think of all the non-thought process stories they can write if he, if he wins it. Yeah, I mean... I think Kessel should win it, to be honest. Like, if Pittsburgh go through, even if Sid overtakes him... I think Sid... Sid's played up pretty awesome. He has. He's been fantastic. But Kessel has consistently scored through each of the series and has been a... a My my rationale would be if Sid's sniffing the same amount of points... Sid will get it. Yeah, then that's... No, no, I'm saying... I don't... I think... I think your Murray argument probably makes a lot of sense for who's voting on it. But That's all. The thing with Sid, the reason Kessel can have the other two players on his line is because Sid's taken Sheary and making him score goals, and Malkin's taken Rust and, and elevating him too. So, I don't know. I have no problem with Phil winning. Don't get me wrong. I, I just think Sid's... I, you got to wait for the rest of this to play out, I guess. What if yeah. the Sharks win? <laughs> I guess Sid won't be getting it. Uh, no. And, um, it's funny. I, I was out at dinner last night and talking to a friend of mine who I'm actually going to watch the game with tomorrow. And I, I sort of said, I'm kind of going to feel for... I'm going to feel for Joe Thornton if... Like, this is a two-zip series, right? So anything can happen from here on. If Pittsburgh get there and do the unthinkable and actually sweep this series, all those choker remarks and all that sort of stuff that used to hang on Thornton and Marlowe and that Sharks team in general, they're all just going to come back purely because they just got knocked off in four. So it's one of those things where it would be good for the NHL if the series gets extended to five or six games. But if it doesn't and Pittsburgh do just steamroll them, um, all of those things that everyone has gone, oh, they've finally got the monkey off their back, and so, we'll all come back. And it's like, you know, because would you say Pavelski or Couture would be the, the best bet for... I, 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 Couture's not on there for me. Is that because he's money and whiny? Nope, nope, nothing to do with it. Don't care about <laughs> him, uh, what he's got to say about that. I think that Pavelski has a bigger impact. I think Brent Burns would be a pretty good one for them. See, I, for me, I would feel like Brent Burns should probably get it if they won the whole thing. He Because at the moment, he scored so many points throughout the playoffs anyway, he would have to have another statistical impact on the series for them to win. Like He's going to have to score a couple of goals, and he's going to have to have a couple of assists setting things up, particularly on the power play for them to, to get there. and in We can hit game five 
you know, in the next month because there's so many days off. <laughs> and it could be a 2-2 tie series. That's the reality of how this whole thing works. So Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the Sharks are – I mean, Pittsburgh should know this more than any other team. They're one of the few yeah. teams that lost to, to the favorite who was playing better than them, came back, tied it 2-2, went down – 3-2 and won the game 6 and 7 against the Red Wings. I, I still think Pittsburgh was... I don't think a lot of Penguins fans really understand how fortunate that, that win was. To get it to 7 was pretty amazing. Like, that, that Detroit that Detroit team was... Those unreal. two years, I mean... Yeah, yeah. Jeez. I like think they're the best really... two teams of the whole cap yeah. era, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh really bucked a trend winning that that particular cup. Whereas this time around, it would be a cup if you look at it in regards to, for me, aesthetically pleasing the way they play. Um, statistically, they sort of tick all the right boxes. It would be a cup that you'd go, yep, that was a really good team that won the cup. They didn't luck into it or, or anything along those lines. Yeah, I think that's. It. I think you could say that about both Pittsburgh and San Jose. Yeah, if, if, yeah, if yeah, San yeah. Jose were to to pull it out but i agree with the pittsburgh point i really um really like what they're they're doing i really like where they can go from here uh other questions that were asked to me on my blog today were is there how how big is the crosby malkin window does does this run make it larger and it's like well it was never shrinking anyway not them in particular no the the window wasn't shrinking in the sense that you can't win with those guys making that money. The window was shrinking because the the team was being managed like shit. You were putting out terrible depth players for a number of years, uh, compounded by injury issues, but just a terrible job at evaluating lower-end talent and and valuing things that don't matter or don't produce victories at a high level at the NHL. And they were closing their own window. And then they would try to fix their problems every trade deadline and and expend assets, like draft picks. So now you don't have the ability to get lucky in the draft anymore. And you're just bringing in kind of, you know, whatever players that you could sign over the summer if you really wanted to. And not give up any draft picks. And that's what they changed this year. They got Eric Fair. They got Matt Cullen. And I know Eric Fair hasn't had a great year with Pittsburgh, but I like the idea of getting him in the summer versus getting, here's a second round pick for Eric Fair. Yeah. So. It's it's funny. I I remember when it felt like the trade deadline was a chance to load up and go for it. And over the last three or four years, this is league-wide, it feels as though the trade deadline is let's cover up a mistake that I've made or let's try and fix a mistake that I made in free agency. And that's a high cost to pay. Do you know what I mean? Like, Chicago got there and paid a really high price to bring in Andrew Ladd because they had to get rid of Patrick Sharp. They're kind of going through what Pittsburgh went through, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and look, it, it comes down to that whole, all of a sudden their superstars are being paid like superstars, and that flexibility's gone that they had, where they could manipulate things around a little bit. Um, so this is where, you know, super super brain GM Stan Bowman needs to probably earn his money here to keep his job, because the next couple of years could go south, or he could know what he wants to do, and, and he will head down that path of making sure his free agent signings are players that help keep the park of players that help produce shots and, and can do them on the cheap um, as opposed to overpaying for particular players. Their, their, their mishandling of Nick Letty's contract situation, their mishandling of uh, Patrick Sharp and Johnny Oduya, that's what destroyed Kane and Taves this year, not Kane and Taves themselves. Well, yeah, they and that's where... Rob Scuderi for Patrick Sharp in a nutshell. Yeah, and that's that's where that falls down. Do you know what I mean? So it's not it's not that Kane and Taves were worse this year or anything like that. There can be a statistical argument for Taves, but it's the fact that the team yeah, around not the MVP. Was worse. <laughs> he yeah. had a good year. Yeah, so the team around them was worse. It's not like Kane 
was worse or anything like that. You just get there with it and look at it and go, see, so this whole narrative of this pair of superstars or this pair of superstars is better than this other pair of superstars or whatever is a load of garbage. Hockey is one of those few beautiful sports where the superstars cannot dominate the sport enough to just run roughshod over the league. And that's why I like the sport so much. Yeah, but I'm going to say this. I don't care oh, what you okay. say. Sid and Gino are the best duo in hockey. They might be, but you look. Stop trying to throw. I know. I, I'm just. I'm just saying that. I look. I I agree with you there, but that's probably because I've got a little bit of you know no, bias. I think that's objective. But you, you get there, and there are so many good duos out there that. Oh yeah, that's not to demean the others. I just think. Yeah. That no, but that that's my point. It's like, oh, their team failed. Well, it's their fault, and it's not. The, the depth of a hockey team is more important than in any other sport in regards to, like, the NFL. You have a great quarterback, he can pretty much run roughshod through the league if you've got a half-decent offensive line, right? You get there with um, you get there with baseball, you get, you know, three or four good pitches, and you can pretty much shut another team down. Basketball, you need three players. You need a decent big, somebody that can shoot and somebody that can distribute the ball, and you're pretty much going to have a team based around that. That's pretty much... You can't do that with this sport. The only way that can possibly happen is if you get a guy like Lundqvist or you get a guy like Holtby and Carey Price. That's three out of 30. It's just so rare. Yeah, I mean... But every year there's always a guy that kind of comes out and and plays well. You just kind of got to be lucky that uh, you get that guy. And I think Sharks' Martin Jones has been pretty good. He has. He's been fantastic. You you look at at, at some of the saves that he's, he's had to make, um, particularly when Pittsburgh were, were pushing and and were really dominating play. The fact that you'd come away five minutes later and go, shit, it's only one nil. It's a sign of a guy that stood up when you needed him to. Matt Murray's, you know, played really well for Pittsburgh since being benched in that weird little. Flurry Murray debate that we used to have about a month ago, or it feels like a that month was, ago, doesn't it? That was purely done on the whole. The Flurry wins will ride him the rest of the way because he'll be riding the wave of emotion on that, right? He, he lost straight back to Murray, right thing to do, away you go. I just don't think throwing Flurry into a game five after, what, 20 minutes, 18 minutes of playoff hockey was the right way to go about trying to get a guy that plays anywhere near playoff level hockey. It just sucks for me because that stigma of being terrible in the playoffs is going to be stuck to the last thing that people remember about him in Pittsburgh. Well, it is a big part of the story, but it is. there was a, a little slice of great in 07-08. The last two years, he's played better in the playoffs. Not not this year, but the um, yeah the other two years, he was better. I, th- I think if he'd gone in healthy, I think Pittsburgh would still be right here. I think mm. I don't think he's played. See, and I know you're going to disagree with that. I, I don't. I can't disagree. I don't know, but like no. But I just I get there with it, and I look at I look at what he what he was doing and all this stuff. I I could just see Pittsburgh still being here, but you'll never we'll never get to know that environment for him. And you know we are in the Cup Finals, but the off season for Pittsburgh in what they do with their assets uh, that they've got going into the off-season and stuff will be very intriguing as a Penguins fan to see how they manage all of that. The goaltending? Uh, goaltending, their defensemen, right. couple, couple of young wingers. It, it's like they've got decisions to make and it will be interesting to see whether they stick with the whole thought process of speed and skill or whether they do try and play it safe in a few departments. So... On the Murray subject, since he got when he got benched for you know he got lit up in that game, yeah, uh, game four, right? Yeah, I think it was four. So since he got lit up, he's come back in. Let's see, one, two, three, four games. Save percentages in those games: nine thirty-three, nine forty-one, nine twenty-three, nine fifty-five. And he hasn't had a game with shots over. 28 I think so if you're going to save that many shots on that few of shots against then last two Tampa games he got 30 each yeah so perfect uh, perfect situation for a goalie to oh, only give up that's not right I meant to say game 6 he got 30 yeah so it's, you, you still get there with it and it's like 
that's a good recipe for only two goals against. This Penguins team has proved that they can score three. Yeah, and that's a that, that's actually a stat. Um, it's called quality start. It's like a quality start for pitchers in baseball. Mm-hmm. It's not an end-all, be-all statistic, but it's one I like to look at. It, over time, I think it shows consistency at the position. Basically, what it what it is is I think if you have a 917 save percentage or higher in a game, it's considered a quality start. Or if you give up two goals or less and you're at least at 885. Geez, that's a that's a reasonably good window to be able to give a quality start, if you know what I mean. Well, if you're two goals or less, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, you should be able to win games like that. I think the ratio or percentage of, of teams that win when their goalie has a quality start is upwards of 75%. So Yeah, I can see why that stat's uh, reasonably relevant if you're looking at those sort of percentages. And Matt Murray's quality starts throughout his career have been really good. Like, his quality starts percentages is really high. So, yes, I do agree that sometimes his workload's not that high, but that's not under his control. I can't hold that against him. So that's why I look to the quality starts with him. No, the, the lack of workload's great because if you're going to say, you know, 935 of your shots and you're only getting 26 shots against, it's like, well, that's two goals. Like you're not even giving up two goals in that situation. So your team is, should be very confident in regards to the way they're playing to be able to push the play and win. So just to kind of point out his regular season, he was 10 for 13 in quality starts for a 77% rate. And in the playoffs, he's 12 for 17, which is um, 70.6% rate. That's really good. You're giving the team a chance to win. And I think average, like over the course of like a larger sample, because Matt Murray doesn't have the largest sample here, regular season or playoffs. Is like sixty percent, so pretty good. If any of is that makes any? sense. No, no, no. It, it all it all makes fairly good sense, really. If we if we flip the flip the coin, I suppose, and, and have a look at it, what would you try to change with San Jose to obviously try and win Game Three? which is, you know, as much of a must-win as you could possibly have for their season, I suppose. There's The strength is supposed to be um, their defense core, yes. Well, yeah, we, we both earmarked as between these two teams. They sh- that should be the area that they can, they can abuse. They have the ability to make plays, so it's tough. They're not slow, like you had mentioned, but they're just not matching the, the Pittsburgh speed. So they're if they're sitting back thinking, oh, Pittsburgh's going to try and skate through us. Pittsburgh's been pretty smart about chipping it into spots they can go get it and or doing the alley-oop play that HBK does. Yeah. I think San Jose has to run a pretty aggressive 2-3, almost the kind of four-check you see at the end of games when teams can't ice it out of their own end where the D just activate down to the hash marks and then the F3 fills in. I think that gives them the best chance to earn possession in the offensive zone and get that cycle on that they're so good at, that that would be their strength. Because I don't think... They have players that are certainly going to make plays in transition, but if you're going to trade transition plays, I don't think Pittsburgh is the team you want to do that with. No, that's true. San Jose would probably win that battle against... Mostly all teams in the league, but I think they're playing the one team where it's like, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. So they got to have zone time, and the way to get zone time in a in a different kind of way, is from what you said earlier, with how Pittsburgh forwards are, you know, on the D on the stretch pass, is to to bottleneck Pittsburgh. You know, maybe they have to chip it by and, and kind of maybe win a race, but it forced Pittsburgh up the wall where their D are activating to keep it in, and then they have to work it from low to high. Because when San Jose cycled it down low, 
Pittsburgh's gotten sucked down low, and the, and their points have been open. And if they can get a few hope and prayer shots through, which in this sport that's kind of how it works, um, they could they could certainly generate some goals. Pittsburgh can't handle extended periods of soccer work in their own defensive zone. They're not built for it. It's nope, one of those and, things and where that's, you know you live with it. That's the, if that's the weakness, yeah, whatever. Uh, I'll do all these no. other things well. But if you're San Jose, it's like, well, how can we find ourselves in that situation? Yeah. And I think it's um, they may have to play a little more chip and chase than even I like to admit at times where they it's not a dump in like a blind it's not like no, a Ben Lovejoy dump in where you just slap it really hard and see where it goes. It's a Kunitz dump in or a Isaiah Kopitar dump in. You put it into a corner somewhere with enough pace on it that the defenseman has to turn, but it's soft enough that your forward can get there and at least make it a one-on-one battle and wait for the dumpee to get in there and get the puck back for you as well. Like, chip and chase is not death as long as you do it to a situation where your teammates or your line mates at the time have a chance to go and collect it. That's probably the one thing that, that shits me about people who argue against a dump-in. A dump-in's just an area pass, really. And as long as you time it right, that your your teammate down the other side of the ice can actually get to it, then it's it's basically a it's basically a a, um, a clear zone play, really. It's just an indirect pass. Yeah. So they, I, I think that's where they can get better. I think they can, you know, if they draw some penalties, then wow, <laughs> there'll be some opportunities let's, for them. Let's not let them do that. Let's <laughs> let's avoid that all we can. Man, game one when Lovejoy took that penalty, I was like, oh no. <laughs> yep. Because that, I, I don't want to give that power play the the looks no. that they have because they're pretty great. Yes, they are. I have to admit, Pittsburgh's power plays looked all right as well. Just haven't finished. I see a lot of people complaining about it. And um, there have been times when I've been like, come on, you're stagnant. You're not moving. You're not doing what the Sharks do. Get their guys moving, finding the two-on-ones. You're just looking for this one play. The Sharks know what you're kind of doing, and everybody's going through the motions. Um, Some people are upset at the breakout the the stagger drop pass thing and i'm gonna be honest i have no problem with it i was uh, skeptical at first of it but they've gained so many more controlled entries because of it than what they've lost because of it but when it fails it looks bad it's that whole egregious error looking thing isn't it it's like what's what's more important the volume of success or the one one time it looks like a yeah someone called it fractured hell online (laughs) <laughs> I wish I remembered who they deserve credit for it. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so they call it fractured hell, which, you know, and that goes back into like a Derek Pouliot argument. Well, his mistakes look like fractured hell, but once again, all the other things are pushing play and doing all that. And I wrote a little bit about that. Someone asked a question about um, his future today on the blog, but we don't have to get into that, but I just thought it was funny that there's a parallel between like puck moving defenseman makes egregious error, looks really bad, and that's what you remember. But you don't remember like the the more benign but very effective plays that they make on a regular basis. You know, you preach to the converted on that one. It's it's about you need to work out why the error is made. And what were they trying to do when they made that error? As opposed to, oh, that guy made the safe play and just bailed out the team on the zone, but gave the puck straight back to the opposition. So it it will be interesting to see if and when hockey will transition away from that thought process. There's still so many old hacks that run the league and have this thought process of you've got to do it the right way and this is the right way. It'll be interesting to see how long it takes for the statistical nerds to infiltrate decision processes and how hard will it be for them across the league to change the way the game is played. Because if 
if the game is all about puck possession and about speed, and that's come about because of the nerds, what we're seeing in this cup finals has been really good fun to watch. Like, it's been good quality hockey. It's like, if this is what we're going to get as a product, I'm happy. Wait, we'll you, all lose. You're watching the games? Yeah. Oh. Why am I just looking at box scores? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? Like, no, if, I know. If, the effect of these guys, these box score nerds, is that the game ends up being faster, more about keeping the puck rather than just throwing it away. The quality of hockey is better for it. And, and that's something we're getting that there. Every, we're getting there. Everybody should be happy about that. Paul Campbell deserves credit for the fractured hell comment. He found at it. 77 <laughs> PGC. Uh, writer for Ingo Magazine and Today Slapshot. So there you go. You deserve your... your <laughs> I like the phrase that much. So... That was that was good fractured hell, I have to admit. But I like that power play breakout. I do. And I don't know if something maybe I'll mess around with uh, my high school team next year. I, I don't know if it'll kind of work at that level. Um, we'll see. Is, I, that I, a, is that a skill-based thing that you're worried about? It's different. It's really out of the box. I've never seen, a, a at least in my area, I haven't seen any... Uh, high school teams run that so it would just be a culture shock kind of thing but i have some really really good dudes on that on that power play that could do it yeah maybe, maybe we'll try it i got i got some personnel that could probably do it but they do fine already so it's one of those things that it's not, not broke, don't fix yeah. correct but i think it's a great play in the nhl and a lot of teams are doing it with success. And there's one thing I did notice. Chris Letang looked back for the drop pass and the Sharks guy cheated. And for the first time, Letang did what I wanted him to do on that and read the play, and he just kind of kept going. And nobody came to him. And he just said, okay, I guess I'll just skate it across the blue line. So that's yeah. why that, that play can work so well. Because once the teams start cheating on it, if you have the guy with the puck that you trust to make the choice – then it's a freebie either way, almost. It's it's almost felt like they've run the same play all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. You're, you're fucking in- with the gap control. I can't stress that enough. Like, you know it's coming, but you're trying to match the speed back to pinch the guy off. The guys at the blue line are, are closing the gap um, on the forwards coming through. But when you drop it back and everybody's got to stop... That means the defenseman got to stop. And for them to pick up their speed going backwards again, it's not easy to do. And when you're talking about elite offensive players, they take advantage of that. They, all they need is a little bit of a step after they've lost their, their gap control, and you're in. And they're not going to attack you on the wall because they know that's not going to work. So you're mm. in. And that's why that works so well. It, it changes the – it just changes how the, the defense – they just have to stop sometimes, and it's tough to get back going again. I don't know. Um, the people that have played a lot of hockey will understand what I'm saying, and I think the people that maybe um, haven't as much will be like, what the hell is he talking about? Uh, your legs have got to actually do the work for you. <laughs> yes. It's tough to get – stopping and starting takes a lot of energy too, so that's another like, um, you know, not a huge impact, but like – making guys stop and start more often uh, you know over the course of a seven game series that that comes into play is there anything else specific that you want to talk about um no i i just think that pittsburgh's been fortunate i think pavelski thornton and couture don't have points is that right at the moment i think three other are those the three? I think so. Burns has a point, right? Yeah. Okay, so maybe it's them. I know it's Pavelski and Thornton for sure. Yeah. To have them off the score them. sheet is really good. I don't think it's going to last, but that's that's been good so far. I would look for Joe Thornton to be extra dangerous uh, in the next game. Also, I would look for what if Martin Jones doesn't play 930? I, I, I think you made a good point in your blog in the sense that you're at home, 
get Thornton out there as much as you can against the lesser defensemen. Don't try to line match so much the forwards. Don't worry about that. Just make sure that every time Schultz and Cole get over the boards, you get Thornton out there. Because they physically can't handle him. No, that'll be a very good matchup for San Jose. And then, you know, Pierre Maguire overrates line matching. Like, he thinks it's the only thing. And um, it just doesn't quite work that way. The best players are going to play a lot of minutes, and it's going to intersect with the other team's best players because they play a lot of minutes. But there are certain times in, in the sport where, okay, we have an offensive zone faceoff, we have last change, um, and they got their worst pairing out there. Double shift Thornton if you got to on that one. It's it's worth trying. And those little kind of you know sections in a game can can you know yeah. take advantage. Hey, of. you've you've got two games here where you get to dictate what happens line change wise at every whistle. So if you feel like there's an edge that you can have, you'd be crazy not to use it. Not just roll the lines out just because that's what you've done and that's what's worked. Um. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, first two games have been entertaining. I don't see that changing. No, that's the thing. Win, win or lose, I've, I've enjoyed what I've seen so far. I've enjoyed it a lot more because I've won. <laughs> it helps. So, <laughs> I guess the, um, the only other thing that I have to add is uh, congratulations to Gino. Yeah, I didn't even know. That's terrible. What? That he uh, he was uh, about to well he not he but his partner was about to give birth. I had no idea. You said that's terrible. I said it's terrible that I didn't know. Oh, I thought you meant it was terrible. <laughs> oh God, no! That's fantastic news. <laughs> God, if I left out a word in that sentence, no wonder you're going. What the hell is wrong with you, man? No, Idiot. and I thought it was pretty cool that the the baby weighed seven pounds one ounce. It's funny how that works with sports people. The you know, the numbers and all that sort of stuff that they run with. So, Nikita Malkin. It's really Te- funny. Technically mate. U.S. born, I think. Well, that's going to be interesting. Come, uh, He'll be Russian, but <laughs> it, it opens the door at least. So, um, I guess um, that'll that'll be it for this week. Um, I, would, I would say if you want to... Um, Support the podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash hockey hurts. It's only uh, you can a dollar a month is all it would take for, for the listenership we have. That would be pretty awesome. So, <laughs> dollar a month would do just fine. So um, we have that. We have at hockey underscore hurts. We have at Walshy 66. We have at Gunner Stall. And you can find my Penguins articles during the Stanley Cup final at hockeybuzz.com. Uh, that'll be it for this week. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm K.